Hello, fellow SPA speakers. Welcome to the SPA Speakers podcast, an intermittent podcast series that contemplates and ruminates the happenings of SPA speakers. And in today's episode, we're going to focus on the theme of timing, a perennial bugbear for me and for many other people, the issue of timing. And in today's episode, we will look at speakers' fear of timing, the significance of timing and as to how that impacts on the overall feel of a club meeting. And finally, we'll wrap up with looking at, most importantly, at techniques at, at which we can then improve our timing in a Toastmasters meeting. Now, to help me look at these three thorny topics within the field of timing, I have deployed and, well, I've invited our VPE, Claire, to join us and Andy, our mentoring manager. Hello, Claire. Hi, Sonny. Thanks for having me on the podcast again. Good to have you here. And hi, Andy. Hello, Sonny. Hello, Claire. Really good to be with you both. Splendid. So we're all ready and primed. We're so ready that Andy has deployed the egg timer. Is the egg timer (laughs) ready? The egg timer is pressed. It's, It's my kitchen oven timer, but it does just the job. Deployed and ready. Well, without further ado, let's swing into discussing the issue of timing. Now, Claire, you're our lead as the VP in putting the agenda for each of our club meetings. And so you invariably, of all of us, will be very much fixated upon the portions of time in every single meeting. And uh, so I'll come to you and, and ask you, let me ask you, why do you think speakers have a fear of timing? And um, why do I think speakers have a fear of timing? Well, so I think the the time attached to a speech is um, it, it speakers are speakers are usually stressed about delivering a speech, and the fact that it's being timed and that they have to deliver within that time, I think, adds extra stress. So um, obviously, we obviously better. Um, it's better when you're speaking to speak slowly and allow pauses um, so that the words that you're saying can sort of sink into the audience. Um, but in the interest of time, you want to make sure that you you complete your speech and you, you finish in time. And I think the, the pressure of sort of seeing the, the red card, the red light go on um, to indicate that you're out of time is, um, yeah, quite, quite scary for our speakers. Mm. It almost feels like a race. And I wonder where that pressure comes from. Andy, where do you feel that pressure arises? Where does it originate from? Really good question. Where does it arise from? Well, it could be, I think, many experiences through our our lives growing up, school, the, the sort of, you know, how we've been brought up, parented, um, the the sense of ease or disease around, um, you know, like go, going to school, it just made me think of like, you know, were our parents um, stressed if we're running late or, um, you know, it, you know, it could be the same for, um, uh, you know, our, our, our sort of our, our colleagues and our, our, our bosses. Um, 
you know, how do we relate to other people through time? And, um, you know, are people relaxed about time and culturally or, or are they um, really quite precise? In many ways, as you say, I think we do fret about time from within our social and, and work spheres. You know, there is that notion of watch of clock watching until we are governed and dictated by time right from the outset. We think, as you quite rightly point out, to our experience in schools and how the day is segmented and dictated and almost ruled by the um, the bell, that that pattern of conditioning then spills over into our work lives. And you kind of brought to mind this fascinating story that I came across quite recently. Did you know that it was possible to buy time, that there was a lady who actually sold time? <laughs> Could you do that? I mean, introduce me to her. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. It, uh, well, in the late 19th century, there was a lady called Ruth Belleville lived in Greenwich, and she was referred to as the Greenwich Time Lady. Now, she was actually a businesswoman, a very canny businesswoman, who came from a family of, of or a long lineage of timekeepers, or rather, should we say, time sellers, time vendors, should we say. And Ruth, every day, would make her way into Greenwich, go to, to the Greenwich Observatory, find out the exact time of that day and then take that information, set her clock and then take that information with her and make her way throughout London through the business district, clocking in, no pun intended, with various consumers, you know, various powerful interests who needed to know the time, who needed to know the exact time. And you know, in the days when you know, there was no, you know, way to scrutinize time when timing devices weren't accurate or were, where they were unable to keep up with the tract of time the passage of time it in business people were wholly reliant upon having daily updates to their time and the only way to do that and the was to tap into the most accurate timing system available which was at the greenwich observatory mm. Interesting. Well, yeah, very interesting story. And um, what a thing to sell. I, this brings a smile to my face because I used to spend a lot of time in Greenwich and I used to live there. But um, it, 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 did, it did take me to the, the thoughts about performance, performance in the, the you know, link to pressure, mm. pressure in the workplace, judging that evaluation of how are we using um, the, the you know how, how much are we doing, and it's sort of a way of measuring, um, uh, making a judgment about productivity, um, what we get across, and that is quite a, a, something to be scared of. You know, are we packing in enough into a segment of time? Yeah, um, yeah it's quite unpleasant either being judged on that, but I feel so much we 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 judge ourselves. It, it almost, as you say, it provides an element of claustrophobia that in some ways it quantifies the experience of public speaking you know, we're already as public speakers 
we will be judging the, ourselves, assessing ourselves on, on the quality of our speeches. And I, it feels in many ways as if the added pressure of a deadline adds another layer of pressure. And it's almost as if it's, there's a multiple layers of pressure. And it's, like, it's as if timing, to me, feels as if it is the, the straw that breaks the back. It's, it's the, you know, the overriding uh, pinch point of, of pressure. Hmm. You, yeah, Andy, you, you were going to say? Uh, yeah, I, I just... You talked about layers of time, and yeah, from, you know, a, a, a simple thing about, you know, boiling an egg through to the, the idea of... Um, if we think of our whole life or beyond as you know being, being judged by time and how we make judgments on the social cultural landscapes of milestones you know things that are supposedly meant to happen in life and you know how how we really you know we can judge ourselves and compare ourselves um along those lines and how yeah how, how disruptive i feel that can be Mm. And do you think, I mean, we've now been, you know, with Toastmasters for a fair while. Do you think in some ways are, with the role of the timekeeper and the general evaluator, and evaluations, they continually always harp on about a person's timing, you know, and I wonder whether in some ways that level of scrutiny amplifies that fear of of timing, that it becomes a bit of a, a raw nerve. And in some senses then, Claire, do you think in some ways a timekeeper can do anything to allay some of those concerns? Is there any way that the timekeeper can d- deliver his or her assessment of timings or even indeed an evaluator, to soften that you know, sense of anxiety that may occur with timing. Yeah, so I mean, it's, um, it's about our meetings, the timekeeper, the role of the timekeeper is to, to time all of the speakers um, and then indicate to them when they're approaching the end of the time. But if, if a speaker wanted them to, um, I'm sure that the timekeeper wouldn't mind sort of um, making some sort of gesture to indicate that they're perhaps halfway through their speech or, a, you know, at a certain time within the speech to help keep the speaker on track. So, yeah, cer- certainly um, there's always options around that sort of thing. Hmm. And is that what you meant, Sonny? <laughs> I, don't know I think it was. It um. I've got a further comment on on that. I think, yeah, if it if it's a do, in a way thinking, well, how 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 have you used the time? If you're reflecting on someone who's used a segment of time, or you know, have they gone particularly under the the, the limit, or or you know, really pressing up against it or over? And perhaps did they get across what they um, had intended? And I think to to soften it in terms of feedback is if someone hasn't perhaps said enough, it's you're really encouraging that said, look, we, we so much want to hear more from you. And, um, you know, you've got this space, this extra time to use, and, you know, that, that's encouraging to do it. 
And then if it's in a way the opposite spectrum where it's been you know crammed in, um, it, it, in, in a way it's, it's sort of gently saying, look, um, it felt your, your message was a little rushed or um, perhaps you can save more of that, you know, um, put some, uh, you know, divide it a bit and put some aside for the next speech. Um, you know, really honour that what you need to say in this one, and, and um, you know, you may not have the time you, you, you'd like, and it might be frustrating. However, your opportunity would come up very soon. You know, um, you, you know, save it. So, 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 and therefore, in some senses, you know, if a, an evaluator can offer some degree of almost like injury time to say to to a speaker. There is more time available. No, that's not it, is it? it uh... no, no, I'm not, I'm not the next. I, I think because I know we've had debates at our club about are we, you know, how lenient should we be with the the time, and I think we 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 agreed that we should be firm and strict, and just in a matter of a fact way, just to say that you know this is where you you, you need to stop and. Um, so everybody recognises that, and it's the, the queue, and it's the same for everybody. Uh, I, I, there is a sort of a temptation for extra time. Um, yeah, and I think it's acknowledging that and, and the frustration of that, because you think, oh, I've, there's just that one more thing I need to say. And it, it can be deeply frustrating not, not being allowed to say that. And it can, I think, you know, for, for me, it can push push buttons where... I think, especially growing up, I, I rarely sort of spoke out in in a group situation. And when I get in a position to do it, I, I thought this is my moment. I, you know, I, I I want to share something. And then mm. the idea that I'm being closed down is a really unpleasant feeling. It's almost as, as if the time, the concerns about time, are a little bit like the furies that you're being harried by. You know, this entity of time being chased, being pursued by time, and and invariably it, it instigates this fight or flee response. Either of those mm. responses are unpleasant. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I suppose I'd add into that. What's the other one? Free, freeze. Well, this makes me think about the idea of procrastination and the idea of freezing as well. That could you could throw that into the the, the mix as well. Mm. So, how do we move forward? I mean, first of all, I think we need to fundamentally understand the significance of timing. If we can see timing, the times of every single speech in its context, understand. You know, the purpose, why do we obsess about timing in in a Toastmasters meeting? That might in itself give us some degree of clarity. Uh, I think for many new members who come to Toastmasters, they may always wonder, well, why is it this, actually, dare I say, actually, even older members, I think fundamentally they may question the, the point of timing that they, that that in 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 some sense there's a laxity to timing that they don't have to be beholden to timing, and that comes a, about from almost a lack of disrespect of timing. Yeah, so I, th I think the significance of timing at our meetings is that we we schedule um, we schedule our meetings. Every meeting that we have has an agenda. And we send the agenda out to everyone who is planning to attend the meeting ahead of time. Uh, and that agenda 
um, has has a time attached to it. So we might ask for um, in an online meeting, it's around an hour and a half. I think face to face, it's about um, two hours. Is that right? Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe a little bit longer. Um, but we, we attach a time to the meeting and people commit to that time. And I think if the meetings are to overrun, then we're we're asking for we're asking to borrow time from all of those people who are there. We're asking for them to give up more of their evening to be there. So, for me, that's the significance of timing. That you know, we want people to keep coming back, and we set this expectation that a meeting will be a certain length, and we don't want to we don't want to overrun. Mm. In some senses, there's this notion of stealing time, and this is where we, as a club, we're saying to a member, we value your time that there is a, a degree of gratitude to to an attendee to, where we are saying thank you for coming to spend an hour and a half or two hours of your own time you're sacrificing your own time to attend a meeting where you fundamentally are giving to other people that you're relying on high level cognitive skills and that demand energy to actively listen, to reframe, to interpret, to scrutinize and analyze the proceedings of a club meeting. And that, that's demanding. And to then, you know, sacrifice time when it could be spent on other pursuits like, you know, walking your cat or dog or <laughs> watching some sort of TV show. It, uh, <laughs> I'd, um, you can tell I watch a lot of TV, but I'm uh, <laughs> yeah. even struggling to think of any TV show, anything that's current <laughs> or recent. But I did see that great documentary about dogs the other day on the BB, on the on the old Beeb. Um, but yeah, I think you you both have hit something on the head about this. This talk about the portion and how it's divided, and what happens if someone has too big a portion during the meeting and um, someone doesn't get a lot a, a, a enough. Um, but there is a, I think with, with clubs, there's a, you know, somewhat of a hierarchy within the agenda about, you know, which roles have more um, speaking time, for instance. Mm. And, but there is that mutual respect. And I think it has to be um, like you both said, really quite organized and respected and I don't think it's intentional at times when when people go over but it needs that um, because it can really push buttons and it could be yes I want to get back for watching some tv and I can't even think of a show to give an example of either but um, I, I, I promise you I do have interesting things to do apart from um spa speakers However, um, the, but your parents you know, is a full-time vocation. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you're excused, and Claire and I, we, yeah, you know, we don't have that excuse. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a cat parent. So. <laughs> oh, that, that's true, actually. So it's just yeah. me that doesn't have the excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but this, yeah, this portion, this portion, and um, yeah, that I, it, it's necessary really to have this this structure in the meeting otherwise it could get because you can think of situations we've all been in where someone has dominated a you know a, an important I don't know training session at work or um, you know a, a meeting or, or you know a family gathering and you know you know it's okay occasionally but you know it can really um, it can great yeah, can't it? yeah yeah um, yeah we can all think of the filibuster or a training session where there's some 
earnest individual had to has to ask three, four, five questions at the end of the the meeting. It, uh, <laughs> and, then, and no doubt they're probably thinking that they're they're doing their job, but we're actually just wasting other people's time. The um, <laughs> so in you are, I think you're both right. This the heart of the matter is respect of time in of itself. It's intrinsically linked to the value of respect and that is one of the core values of toastmasters to respect time ensures an equality in the proceedings of a club meeting and that mm. underpins fairness it then in of itself provides a platform a safe harbor for for people to feel settled and comfortable Mm. And that allows them to grow and develop and, and experiment. So in, in some sense, time and our preoccupation with time in a Toastmasters meeting is the very bedrock, the foundation of a, the base of a, of a club meeting. So let's move yeah. on to looking at techniques in which we can master our fear of timing in in a club meeting. And this is probably possibly where we need to think about reframing our sense of time. We may suffer the notion that time is absolute. And that's very much a, an idea that's come about from, from Newton and the idea of true time, relentlessly ticking across the universe, an absolute constant. But in reality, time is very much relative. The Italian physicist Ravelli talks about how time fluctuates in different spaces on the planet. And that's very much dictated by the gravitational pull on the planet. Time runs slower where gravity is strongest. So in a sense, Time warps, it curves, it is an elastic concept of space-time. So thinking about how we can flex time in a Toastmasters meeting, what can we do? Claire, let's come to you as VPE. What would you recommend as a technique for our members to deploy to pacify their concerns about time or possibly get a better handle on the running of time? Uh, so, yeah, that's a really interesting question, Sunny. And I think um, I think there's two types. Well, there are, there are meetings, there's two types of speeches. There's prepared speeches and there's the sort of more impromptu or evaluations that you sort of put together on the night. So I think for the prepared speeches, the best way to approach time and to make sure that your speech fits with timing is to practice it. So to um, practice it ahead of time, time yourself, record yourself and make sure that, that you're at the right time. If, if you're not, then you might need to add more content or slow down or um, remove some content. Um, but yeah, certainly for prepared speeches, I think it's all about practice mm. is my view. Um, but it's more difficult, isn't it, for the, the speeches that you might write on the night or the impromptu speeches that you're sort of putting together in your head um, yeah, in, in that moment. 
the the, um, the latter so is much yeah. much more of a fiendish quandary, isn't it? And if we look at our timing tonight, I fear the oven time is going to hit very soon. But thinking about your assessment, Claire, of pre-prepared speeches, it it would seem as if there's a an, an element of responsibility here for that speaker to take their due diligence to practice, practice and rehearse to then be in in a prepared state for the the meetings. But similarly, that is a different proposition for those speakers who are speaking off the cuff, um, thinking on their heels in the moment. They haven't had time to prepare in, in advance. Andy, what would you propose as a technique for those those speakers who might have to give a table topics or an evaluation that they're thinking on the spot? What could they do to get a grip on time? I think, yeah, it, it, as Claire said, it, it's definitely more challenging than the impromptu speaking. Um, I would, however, echo though you mentioned about practice, and I think just the not whereas the practice of the prepared speeches you do before or when in your own time, just by practicing table topics again and again and again, you build up a an internal sense of time so you you get you, you get a feeling you know think, oh actually I, i'm com- i must be coming up to you know two minutes now and and you know you can use the the cues of the the green the 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 yellow and the red if if um your club uh, has those but mm. it's it, it's Uh, I was thinking of your assessment, your commentary there brought about this idea of hurdling. And it it brought to my mind this image of Usain Bolt launching out of the traps. And I think in some ways for an off for a impromptu speech, the source of control in that speech must kick in right from the very first moment of that speech and this is where the launch into that speech is is fundamental it's it's fundamentally important and i'm I'm thinking very much of last year of sanatas our area director demonstrating how he was how an advanced speaker almost has a well tread uh, patter, you know, almost like a stock set of phrases that they would then initiate to kickstart their their spiel. Can we think possibly of some of the stock phrases that we might be able to use to almost uh, enable a speaker to switch on the ignition, to get into that running tempo, to almost get up to speed rapidly? Hello. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I don't know if I... <laughs> has, has Andy disappeared? Andy, are you still there? Oh, Andy must be oh, talking to his, his his oven. Well, Claire. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's and, gone. <laughs> oh no, that means that I have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he may well rejoin. But, uh, I mean, we could wait, but then your know, time is a ticking. Yeah. <laughs> So the question was um, phrases that can kickstart your your speech. Is that right? 
Sunny? Yeah, it's like stock phrases that maybe a speaker can deploy to to hit the ground running. Oh, I, so I suppose something that that I try and do if if I'm not ready to sort of launch into an impromptu speech um, during table topics, what what I might do is repeat the question. I might use the um, the um, what do we call it when we when we address the audience. So I'd say. Um, Table topics master, fellow toastmasters, most welcome guests. I might repeat the question, and during this time, it just gives me that that um, that that time to prepare what I'm about to 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 say. Um, is that what you meant, Sonny, or did you have yeah, something else? Yeah, I, I think very much so. I think yeah. you've touched upon how rituals, a speaker's own set of rituals, or even indeed the rituals of a club, can help ground a speaker can help them almost to become synchronised with the proceedings of the club meeting and then be in a position to to deliver their report. And I think it's no surprise that, actually, well, it is a bit of a surprise, but nonetheless, it, um, I was thinking in some ways about some of the, the phraseology that we deploy in Toastmasters, you know, um, yeah, the greetings that we use at uh, fellow Toastmasters and most welcome guests and those phrases that have stayed with Toastmasters through the decades, they they may seem outwardly as quite esoteric, but there's almost something very much ritual about those statements that possibly help us to stimulate our stimulate us to get into gear for delivering our reports. Andy has rejoined. Yes, hello. Hi, Andy. How's, Hi, yeah. how's the oven? Oh, the, the oven's only two, two minutes left on, um, on the clock. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, 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 I suspect we probably will probably go over by a minute or two. But, you know, bad traditions, eh? But, um, bad habits take time to, to reset. My own sort of tip is I'm thinking very much of something that Viv Groskop talks about in her podcast series, How to Own a Room. And she talks about how we need to be mindful in our public speaking. That mindfulness requires an awareness of our situation, of ourselves. And what she recommends is the preliminary the proceedings before giving a speech to think about you know, practicing almost a micro sense of mindfulness where a few breathing exercises to start by breathing through your feet can ground a speaker and with that speaker being more sufficiently planted they feel physically and mentally more grounded and solid and that possibly allows them to weather the vicissitudes of time and the urgency of timing um, the the furies of time so drawing to a close we've given you fellow listeners a few tips and techniques on how to improve your timing in a club meeting and indeed actually beyond in the in the realm of the outer world are there any 
anything that Claire or Andy that you want to add? Um, not really. I mean, only really just to say that I think um, what I, I think one of the key things to take away from this podcast is to practice, and the best way to practice is to keep coming along to meetings. So, um, yeah, for for any spa speakers who who might not be as regular um, at our meetings, then um, yeah, maybe come along and try and practice. Practice, practice, practice. Andy, what's yeah. your takeaway tip? Yeah, it's a, a fantastic tip about practicing. Uh, I, I'd probably only say just to, to reflect, you know, you know, think purposely about how do you feel about time when you have been, you, you're given time? Does it feel not enough? Does it feel too much? You know, does it feel a huge space? You know, just, just to reflect on that. Hmm. And the riddle of time may ultimately feel beyond our blurred comprehension says the the astrophysicist Rivelli. Mm. however i hope that this podcast may give you some clarity on how time can become more solid clear opaque and fundamentally then more controllable it is within your grasp to master time thank you for listening <laughs>